Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Episode 9 of Location Matters. My name's Adam Mullett. I'm the Marketing Manager at NGIS, and today we are joined by NGIS's Director of Services, Nathan Eaton, and the Chief Commercial Officer of Frontier SI, Nathan Quadros. And today we're talking about the world of spatial possibilities you can have with a cooperative research center. But before we get into it, just a reminder, if you've enjoyed our previous episodes, you can now get them on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher and even on Spotify. So I'll start with you, Nathan Quadros. Recently, your organization has rebranded from the Cooperative Research Center for Spatial Information to Frontier SI. Tell us a little bit about that and what the journey has been and what the future holds. Well, a cooperative research centre, or otherwise known as a CRC, is set up by the Department of Industry in the Commonwealth, and essentially they match funds that we can raise from industry. So we were set up in spatial information and location-based services as well to get government, private sector and universities together working on, I guess, multi-party projects, complex, more complex projects than they would normally work on. So we were started in around 2004, We've been going for 15 years and we've just exited the CRC program to become Frontier SI. So why did that happen? Well, there is a limitation. They want you after a period of time to stand on your own two feet. And we've, we've been that way for around 15 years now. And for the past sort of five, six years, been, we, we've been working towards this point and this juncture and spinning out of the CRC program. So we've really been focusing on our, our partners as well as delivering on what the Commonwealth expected of us. So we've had a lot of engagement over the last two months. We've had steering committees where our industry partners are involved with the universities and government and really feeding into the direction they wanted to see us beyond um, 2018. And so we've been responding to that and now we think we're forming up an organisation that will really serve our partners for the next five years. So a little bit more on CRCs for those who aren't uh, familiar with them. Um, What does it take to become one and and, and why did you have to move off it? Oh, it's it's a really complex project uh, process at, at the very start of it. So we were... In 2004, rated one of, one of the best bids going going ahead. That went for around um, six years to 2010. We were then assessed on how we performed in those first six years and ex- extended for further eight. But it's really, I guess, the processes, the projects you get involved, the partners that are involved, and, and that investment when you set up a CRC. So they're looking at investment from industry and government that Commonwealth could match, both in kind and time investment and cash investment as well, as well as sort of national-based problems, um, problems that are greater than one company that you want to solve that can really move industry and that particular industry ahead so we were focused on spatial or location-based information we identified some major problems there in in positioning getting centimeter level positioning which we've been uh, working towards over the last 15 years and we think we've achieved that in a lot of ways we've we've focused on feature extraction and analytics from satellite imagery and we've we've got a lot of um, algorithms we've built for those over the past few years and also spatial infrastructures and we've been we've aligned that to four industries over over our journey which is agriculture health, um, built environment and defence as well. So we've been targeting those particular industries and trying to grow them with the technologies we've been building. 
So, Nathan Eaton, why is spatial technology a good field to have a CRC in? Well, you would have seen the impact on a lot of spatial technologies recently and going back. Um, You can see how prevalent it is in society at the moment and how necessary location intelligence is. So the CRCs for Spatial Information, as as Dr. Leider mentioned before, it goes across a number of different verticals. So it's not just focused on, say, a CRC for agri or a CRC for mining. It actually covers core fundamental capability across a lot of those different verticals. So the need for spatial information, and as Nathan was talking about, centimetre-level positioning and what that will do for your mobile phone devices, what we can do out in the field for agriculture, what mining applications can then use that type of capability. It's, it's got tremendous application across all industries, really. And the CRC really relies on collaboration, right? You mentioned it already. Um, it's got to have that university, the research, got to have the public funding and then the private uh, industry all working together. Um, tell us about how that works in, in practice and the collaboration aspect of, of what you do. Yeah, I guess it's good to speak about that from an example. One of the projects we've had is, it's called the RAISE project, and we've worked with uh, Professor Chris Pettit out of the University of New South Wales. And with him, we were able to bring in companies like the Domain Group, Australian Property Monitors, um, work with another one of our partners, PSMA. We were able to work with the New South Wales government through the Valuer General's Office and Spatial Services and bring all these parties together to work on automated land valuation. Now, this isn't something they could have done on their own. You need a a government-based data set from the Valuer General. You need a a company like Domain with their sales data over the past 20 years to come together, and you need the smarts of the universities and the professors to work up that algorithm. And so it's those complex problems that couldn't be done by one organisation that we aim to solve and contribute to. Okay. Yeah, just following that up, so we've been involved with the CRC for SI for, um, for since the start, really. And what Nathan just pointed out there is tackling those big problems that can't be solved by one particular organisation. I think that's the strength of the CRC and, and then moving into Frontier SI. It's ability to broker those partnerships and have a really partner-friendly ecosystem to solve these big problems. Where do you get the most success? What sort of projects or what sort of organisations get the most out of this sort of you know mode of working? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question, and it probably says a little bit about our journey of, of where we started from. Um, we started with a lot of projects driven out of universities, the ideas driven out of universities. It's not to say we don't still do that, but I would say our most successful projects and research come from industry and, and the ideas from industry and government. I would include government in, in there as well. But over the last sort of three to four years, getting those ideas out of industry and government, identifying their problems and then getting the best researchers to solve those problems, that's where we've had the most success. And th- those researchers that can really engage with industry, engage in those conversations, understand the fundamentals of that issue um, and then solve that, that that's really what we're looking for one of the uh, key parties in all this are universities and you know we've got some of the you know world's best research universities are they getting products out to market um, that are making a difference yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, we're really focused on an applied area. I can't speak for universities as a whole, but the researchers we work with, yeah, constantly getting um, products out there. So I spoke about the RAISE project before. That's already been taken up by spatial services. We have a, a number of other projects where it requires industry-based funding and government match funding. And, and 
industry and government don't put cash in unless they're intending to use or, that product or get a benefit from that. And so we're seeing a lot of take up from that. But the researchers we work with, yeah, there's a huge amount of benefit and, and a huge amount of success in terms of the probability of that is being experienced now. I think researchers are getting a lot more switched on. I think programs across universities too, particularly driven by the Commonwealth, it's less about papers these days and a lot more about engagement and utilisation of research than it ever has been. What do you think, Nathan Eaton? Have you seen any examples where research has been commercialised and, and used generally? Uh, one that comes to mind, I saw a presentation um, and Graeme Koenig, I'm the CEO from, from Frontier SI, was over in, in Perth a little while back. It was for, I think, a project called Cliniface, where they actually use modelling for 3D features to detect rare diseases in children and people in general. Um, and studies there have indicated from university collaboration um, that up to one in three people, you can actually detect these rare diseases um, based on their, their facial features. And that's a tremendous project. That's got buy-in from a lot of commercial companies as well and looks to be going really, really well. And that's a great example of CRC collaborating with the universities, collaborating with health to try and have a really impactful outcome. So how does someone with a problem out there get your attention? Oh, well, we get applications all the time. Most of it's just through conversations. And so we have members of our team, uh, we have program managers and, and business development managers out there connecting with industry, connecting with government all the time and having these conversations. And when you hear a conversation that's similar from one organisation that's heard at another organisation and then an in industry partner might have it as well as the government, you suddenly think, well, here's an opportunity. We can bring these parties together and provide value. So rather than one organisation potentially building it, they, they can then subsidise it for each other. And so then you get a, potentially a larger project um, you, you get a share of that pie when when that comes out as well so we look look for those opportunities so examples of that are in at the moment we're building a lot of quality assurance tools in, in data so government collect a lot of remote sensing data this is based on 3d models and laser scanning from from aircraft we're working on one at the moment they're surveying the sea floor from boats uh, we're also using drones and imagery to collect various bits of data but people are collecting this data and they want to rather than the use once which has traditionally been done they want to use it many many times and to do that you need high quality data or you need to know the quality of it when you pick that up if you haven't collected it yourself and so we're developing those tools across government they're spending previous to do doing this all sorts of resources across government to do these sort of quality assurance tracks we're building automated tools to do that for them do you see any areas or key growth opportunities for spatial in Australia and globally? I, I speak to universities as a guest lecturer um, every so often, and I get so excited speaking to the university students. It's just outside of spatial and location, there's so many startups and SMEs at the moment. It's, it's red hot, and I... I'm even seeing it even inside spatial. There, there's a great company out of UNSW called Fluorosat that started off doing hyperspectral imagery from um, analytics um, from satellites. So you're seeing all these sorts of opportunities, and now people are pushing into real time. People want to know right now what's happening right now in a particular location, not wait for data processes and all that sort of thing. And this is creating a huge amount of opportunities with real time, with automation, with the integration of various data sets at the moment we're on the cusp of it it's only just kicking off 
and this builds out a whole number of opportunities. And now people can tackle it with services like Amazon, Azure and those sorts of things out there. You can tackle some of these problems with very little investment. I think graduates from universities have a huge amount of opportunities to build in this sort of area. And, and location is pretty untapped. And if you understand it, you can exploit those opportunities. So I, I look forward to seeing what the next generation can do. Yeah. And on what Nathan was discussing then, there's no doubt that um, that data is the new oil. So data is going to be a huge part of what organisations do in the future. And it's something that a lot of organisations are struggling with at the moment in terms of how to use all the data that they've got available to them. And look, the future is sensor rich. You look at all industries such as mining and how many sensors they have attached to their vehicles and equipment at the moment. So they have a lot of data at their disposal. The challenge is then how do they make use of that data? And I think that's where spatial has a really key role to play so for a lot of these industries all the data that's coming through has a location aspect to it and in many cases location can be the integrator that allows you to put multiple data sources together and then the ultimate value is what you do with that data so it's not getting lost in the ones and zeros it's actually looking at where the valuable decisions are just to add to that too traditional science has been flipped you would do an experiment you would set up a hypothesis then go collect your data and get the insight and answer we're finding now industry and everyone's coming to us and saying we've got this whole stack of data give us some value out of it and that's flipped science so they've, they've got the data prior to the hypothesis and that creates a huge amount of opportunity because people don't know what value they have there they, they want to ask that and they want to ask those questions and the questions are getting more and more broad data is getting more and more complex and that's where something like artificial intelligence is really on the tip of everyone's tongue what are some really fascinating data sets nathan Eaton, that people could get some value out of Oh, look, you see the work that Geoscience Australia is producing um, with the satellite imagery that's available from the European Space Agency. You know, tremendously valuable data that's openly available for people to leverage. And you can then look at Earth observation data in general, moving into uh, satellite imagery from planet using the microsats. Uh, you look at the, the, the explosion of, of drone data, and Nathan talked before around the need for the QA products with those. So there's so many different sensors available. Um, it's all about how you combine those together to produce the output. So lots of really exciting things in the satellite space, but also from a terrestrial level as well. Well, NGIS and Frontier SI, or under your old uh, name, CRC SI, we've worked together on a number of projects over the years. And probably the one that's um, been the most impressive, certainly, and most well-known is when you did work that won the award from the UN, you know, COP20, COP21, and you were given a prize by, you know, Ban Ki-moon for the Lighthouse Award. And that was about coastal risk and, and showing how sea level rise and inundation was going to affect people and it's going to help, you know these tools are going to help people plan and those tools even today are being used for example four corners picked up coastal risk australia just just recently so what why this map why why did this example get everyone's attention and that's a very good question because some people have entered this sort of space before um you could say the issue is very topical. Um, you could say it was out in the Pacific or various things like that. But I think fundamentally it was because we put people first. We really put usability of the tool first, getting people to get in there, get the information, get the insights they want. So we made that process really simple, really understandable, where school children could pick it up. We work with people in the Pacific where villages could pick up 
that information and understand it really readily. They understand maps, like everyone understands maps. We build it on Google, which Nathan can attest over here, 95% of people around the globe would use Google Maps. Um, so it was really easy. And the school teachers we taught, within two or three minutes, they were using it. They were navigating around towns. They were looking at a, a, a resort that was being built on one of the islands and looking how inundation would affect that. I've been into local schools around Melbourne and Victoria and seen the school kids, their excitement when they look at their houses and, and all that sort of thing. So I think the simplicity, everything about climate change and sea level rise to that point in time was in reports, policies, complex documents, even PDFs, which are fairly dry. The maps were traditionally printed in PDFs, which you can't zoom in on, you can't see. And for once, people could identify with it. They could see their houses and use a really easy tool. I think that that made all the difference. Yeah, very well put. Um, so really what the project was about for us was communicating climate change science. It was taking, as Nathan pointed out, taking a number and actually showing people what that meant to them. And it was that personalisation of data that I think led to greater awareness. Um, and look, it can be controversial, and like, this is something that will affect people, particularly on the coastline. But at the end of the day, it's about creating that awareness so people understand where the risk is so they can then remediate um, and ask the right questions so they can improve the way that they're making their communities resilient to climate change in the future. All right. Well, thank you very much both for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher or check out our website for more episodes. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.